0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s.
1: I wasn't picked up off the street and dusted off and suddenly found out that I was funny. You know, I got little glimpses of the fact that I could make people laugh. I didn't quite think
0: I was funny. Oscar-winning actress Goldie Hawn. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, one of the most bankable female movie stars of the last 50 years is also one of Hollywood's most influential. And she got her big break when she was still just barely old enough to have a legal drink. She was one of the original cast members of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In in the 60s. And since then, it seems everything she's touched has turned to gold, or should we say, Goldie. Goldie Hawn won an Oscar at age 25 for her supporting role in Cactus Flower. And in the decades since then, she has run up a string of major motion picture successes. Sugarland Express, Shampoo, Foul Play, Seems Like Old Times, Private Benjamin, The First Wives Club, Death Becomes Her, The Banger Sisters. Well, in 2005, Goldie Hawn took a break from her busy acting career to write a memoir. which She was careful to point out it's not really a memoir or autobiography, it's stories about her life she called the book a lotus grows in the mud now a side note unfortunately the day that she was supposed to come see me in studio for the interview traffic in our area was bad I mean it was bad and she got caught in traffic wasn't gonna make it to the studio in time so we phoned this one in so here now from 2005 Goldie Hawn some people might ask what took you so long to write a book
1: Uh, you know I suppose I've been asked about that for quite a while I have no answer absolutely none it's just time felt right, you know. Kids say to me, well, I think I'll have a baby, or just doesn't feel right now. I always say, just have the baby. Do it when you feel like it. There's never a right time for anything, so just do it. So I follow my instincts. I,
0: I couldn't help wondering if this is a book to answer people's questions about you or or the to, or to answer questions that you had about yourself.
1: Yeah, good good idea. First of all, the a lot of this stuff, obviously, I've thought through. Or I wouldn't be able to write about it. Um, so in a way uh some of it's a little of, a little of each in terms of people always interested in wanting to know kind of what what I'm thinking about or what my philosophy is on certain things and and this is a book that kind of answers some of that for those that are interested and the other way around is to know that I've uh, have uh, some stories that I think are really interesting and fun uh it's not an autobiography so I want kind of want to clear that up because it's not sort of a narrative kind of exposition uh, kind of a piece about, you know, the big M for me. Uh, it's just these little stories that um, hopefully are told very actively and they'll be fun to read and feel like you're in that moment, you know.
0: Well, the thread that connects everything, isn't it, is relationships, is how different people have have changed your life. Yes,
1: and how people affect you and how you affect them
0: mm-hmm. and what
1: responsibility we take for all of it. And uh you know, and and how to—I don't have any lessons on how to stay happy, but it certainly was one of my objectives in life at a very young age. Was it's really all I wanted to be? Um, you know, dancer, actress, singer, movie star—all those things were well, fine. And of course, movie star was a joke. I mean, there was no way that was going to happen. But uh, I, I used to answer, "Happy is what I really want to be," and I was only 11. So it's really been um, a journey for me to. Uh, to hold on, to you know, understand what happiness is, to f- find it, to lose it, and to get it back—all of those things really have driven my life mostly.
0: I found it so amazing that in the span of—correct me if I'm wrong—about twelve years, you went from understudy in the Nutcracker to Juliet in Summerstock to dancing on a table at the Cinnamon bo- or the Peppermint Box. Right. To get my spice right, <laughs> uh, and then uh, <laughs> to to Academy Award. I mean, all, all in a space of about a dozen years. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I never looked at it quite that way, and, you know, sort of, you know, that li- linearly. Uh, but it's true. It's just, it, was a, it was a very, very quick rise to stardom.
0: If you had planned that, would that have ever happened?
1: Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. That's why you can't plan those things. No, you know, lesson number two live in the moment. You know, nothing ever stays the same anyway, so, you know. I mean it's it's uh, it's crazy.
0: But it strikes me it's so many places in your life that that you've been not necessarily in the right place at the right time but you've been prepared to be in the right place at the right time.
1: Uh, prepared is probably the word. Uh You know it is like if if you're not prepared, which is of course what my mother told me, then you know get ready because it may not happen just get just just be prepared and that was like one of the big mottos of you know my mom used to say the casting couch is one thing these people can put you up in front of the camera, but if you're not prepared, you don't have the stuff it's the people really that are going to push you over the top and accept you so you no know, that was her little piece of advice just before I went to the al cap experience of my book, which was um, a rather um, <laughs> horrible experience, which uh, we'll, uh, we won't talk about now. But.
0: <laughs> Pe- people can dip into that story in the book.
1: Yeah, dip into it in the book. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> but do you think people will be surprised to find that this brilliant comedic actress never had planned a, a, a career in comedy?
1: Um, no. Well, perhaps. You know, perhaps. I mean, there's so many surprises in life, and uh, you know, I certainly, I don't, I wasn't picked up off the street and dusted off and suddenly found out that I was funny. I mean, I got glimpses of it throughout my, my little dancing career. And I had, you know, great plans on being in theater and dancing and musical comedy. And I had a lot of, uh, you know, teaching. I mean, since I'm three years old, I was dancing and learning and taking singing lessons and so forth. So the idea that suddenly it just, Happened uh, was kind of true, but on the other hand, you know, I got little glimpses of the fact that I could make people laugh. I didn't quite think I
0: was funny, but I, I, I wasn't clear for, in in reading the book why you made how you how you made people laugh when you were Juliet.
1: Uh, that was a surprise to me,
0: because <laughs> <laughs> Juliet's not exactly a humorous character.
1: Well, that was horrified to tell you the truth. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting there doing sort of the, when the, when Juliet was very petulant. She was, you know, wanting to know what the maid, you know, what her nurse had said, and she'd seen Romeo and tell me, tell me, tell me, what did he say, what did he say? And it's a cute scene. I mean, it was, you know, so it wasn't one of the more tragic scenes, so therefore they weren't laughing when everyone was dying. But uh, I put my head in my hands. I looked up, you know, in a petulant young girl kind of way, and the whole audience started laughing, and I went, Okay. <laughs> i did something wrong
0: (laughs) but anyway it's just
1: the way we look at things
0: (laughs) but it was also that performance was it not that got you your first standing ovation uh
1: it really did it really did it was it was um it was kind of an extraordinary moment for me at that time i was i don't know 17 or 18 i have to go back could have been 18 uh I just couldn't believe it, you know. Hmm. It was really something, you know, it shows you that that awards and all these things, I mean, it really is some your own personal experience if you really feel good about what you've done, and you have this kind of thing, you don't ever forget it, and it's it's really very, very cool.
0: Now, you also tell in the book how just a year or two later, you're in New York, you're 19, you almost died in a car crash.
1: I was in New York, yeah, I I did. Um, I didn't know that I did, and the story will reveal that, but... Uh, I I I kind of left my body, you know. I was looking down at things. It was it was pretty interesting, and and I met this psychic that reminded me of it many, many, many years later. And I had to kind of I kept saying no, 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 and they insisted. And this man who didn't speak English said, "No, that's written. You were supposed to have died, but you didn't." And we could think back, think back, and and I finally said, "Yeah," because oh, he said when you were around nineteen years old. Uh, And then he said, did your life change drastically after that? Because it should have, and it did. It did. I mean, I was dancing in New York, and next thing I knew, I was on a television show in in california
0: you know I, I was telling my wife i remember that i remember good morning a uh, good morning world do you yeah i just it, it was on for what a season or two well, 26 that's... 26 episodes yeah <laughs> those was... were the days they were promising 26 episodes no matter what well that was back in the day when a season was 26 episodes that's now right it's, now it's 12 episodes i and on know rerun.
1: it's so different
0: oh man yeah no
1: a... it's quick blink don't blink just just don't blink <laughs> you're right. gonna miss it now, <laughs>
0: After this short break, how Goldie Hawn became the ditzy blonde on Laugh-In. Now back to my 2005 interview with Goldie Hawn. You know, a few months ago, I had Gary Owens on, and and he was talking about how he had gotten the role of the announcer. You know, on, on Laugh In by mm-hmm. by his stentorious tones in the restroom. You know, and, oh, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now you've got the story in your book about how you know you didn't tell George Schlatter apparently that you were, as you say in the book, mildly dyslexic. Yeah,
1: I, I it wasn't anything to excuse myself for. It didn't get in the way. Uh, it's just sometimes I'd reverse letters or I'd, you know, and when I get nervous and on these cue cards, um. Part of it was, you know, kind of mixing up the words sometimes. I laugh at news of the future as, oh no, I did it again. Uh Go ahead. And now laughing looks at the news of the future as we present the news of the past, present, and future. So here in the future is Don.
0: No, that's Dan Goldie. That's Dan Goldie.
1: (laughs) And laughing at myself because that's what I do, you know, I don't take myself so seriously. So I just had a ball laughing, but I thought I could do it over again and... No way! No way! That was fine, Goldie, and of course that's when it all got silly, and I had to hold on to that character for about two and a half years, which was not easy, uh, but it was a hell of a lot of fun.
0: Oh, to this day, many people—that's most many people my age remember you best. Yeah, before. sure.
1: No, it's a big deal. I'm amazed that just people haven't forgotten it, or it just hasn't fallen off the radar. I mean, that was so many years ago, and I've done. So much stuff in between. But it really holds. It it, it just held people's hearts. It's
0: an icon. Yeah, it, it
1: is an iconic
0: show. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's almost you can look at it now as though that's somebody else or something else almost. Right. Uh, but uh, now, uh, cactus flower, you got the the Academy Award. Yeah. <laughs> did did people's expectations of you at that point were, were they were they too high of you? You were just twenty three years old, weren't you? Yeah,
1: I don't know about that. I, I I just don't I don't know what at that point I wasn't. At all, perceiving expectations. Um,
0: but I gather you—I gather the pressure was very difficult.
1: The pressure at that time was much more difficult. When I was plucked out of the chorus and brought into what one would consider the luckiest break, you know, fame, fortune, and you know, uh, you know, being a regular on a television show, acting—that was hard for me. And I went into uh, a kind of anxiety-ridden state where I, uh, I was just went. I actually found myself you know, seeking the help of a psychologist. Um, and that's, you know, a, a chapter in the book that could actually be a book unto itself. Uh, but at any rate, um, yeah, no, it, it, you know, the Academy Award was fine. I was drawn to my next picture. My life, I was married. I mean, my life was very much, um, you know, I guess you could call, at this time, clarified and by rote, you know. Mm-hmm. So the the Academy Award put absolutely no pressure on me. The only thing that I realized was is that I felt I really got it too soon,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that I got it too soon. I couldn't
0: believe that's the—you I I, I you, you reminded me of the book. I, that's the only one you've ever won.
1: Yes, I've been nominated, but it's the only one I've ever won.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. First that, movie. Bl- oh, bless your heart. <laughs> 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 but uh, I, you know, I was I also have to tell you, and maybe this is because of the fact, as you said, it's not strictly an autobiography. I was surprised at how few of your movies you went into much detail about in this book.
1: Well, it's just not about career; mm-hmm. it's about a life. You know, it's about how we deal with our obstacles. And lotus grows in the mud. The lotus is a beautiful flower that can only grow in the mud. It doesn't grow in clear, crystal, beautiful, happy water. It grows in these stinky old ponds, and that's life. Isn't easy. And I don't care how positive I am. I, I can look around me and go through periods of my life as well. Some of them are just unbelievably joyous and great, and other ones are very difficult. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you do in life or how lucky you think you've gotten. I mean, obviously, I don't want to put any of that in, a, in its wrong place, but in our hearts, in our minds, in our levels of, of happiness. I mean, we all go through tough times. So that's the that's what the book is about. That's what the book, you know, deals with. It deals with, with love and joy and sorrow and death and losing things and having daughters and, you know, all these passages, empty nest, stuff that goes on, you know, success, failure, fear, anger. I mean, tremendous areas of our emotional life that I used each story to sort of address something that we as a human race, not just somebody who's illuminated, but trying to organize my heart with everyone else's and sort of entrain it to beat to the same level so we can all talk about the same
0: things. Do you sometimes feel now that you are a better parent for having, or, or, or do you, under, let me, let no, no, me, let me phrase it, I'm phrasing okay. it wrong. Do you f- feel that you understand your parents better now that you are a parent and indeed a grandmother yourself?
1: Well, I guess I do. I spent a lot of time understanding my, my family when I was young. Um, revelations? No, I have had no revelations. <laughs> uh, I certainly have been, tried to stay present uh, through each each time period you know sometimes I see my mother in me sometimes I see my father uh, I certainly understand why they did what they did and I dealt with that when I was quite young uh, part of this reason for doing this and speaking about that is is that I think that all children should go through reflective moments when they're young from 20 to 30 is the toughest decade they don't know who they are, what they're going to be, how they're going to make their money, how they're going to make their mark, are they going to get married but they don't feel like it, they're being pushed, what's expected of me. It's so hard and it would be, you know, if I could give a gift to every 20 to 30 year old, I would give them that gift to say whatever path you take, make it to be a path back to yourself and learn about yourself now, not when you're passing into 30, passing into 40, going through the difficult times in in, in your passages throughout your life, so it gives you a good base. I was lucky.
0: Yeah, very, yeah, very well said. Let me, let me ask you, what's, what in your mind is the best part about being a grandmother?
1: Well, right now, the worst part about being a grandmother is that I don't get to see my baby. Because he's on the road. You know, he's playing in the band now, don't you?
0: Are you serious? <laughs> he's
1: on the road.
0: Oh, man. He's
1: in the bus, Gus. <laughs> I mean, he is so cute. He's, you know, 15 months, going on 16 months. He dances. He's full of music. He's unbelievable. And Katie's on the road, too, although she's going to be starting a picture. Um, they're gone, and I'm gone. I mean, we're busy family. Oliver's in South Africa. Katie's on the road. Wyatt's playing hockey in Vancouver. And my other son is working for Bright Light Foundation, which is my foundation. Oh, right, right. And uh, on, uh, basically, we're creating curriculum for young children, on teaching them modes and methods in which to quiet their mind, to focus their minds, to breathe, to calm themselves, to be able to learn better, to have interconnection with their friends and family. And uh, it's just an awesome study, and it also is backed up by neuroscience. So it's very, very exciting. So he's doing that. By the way, anybody who wants to check into that, it's brightlightfoundation.net, and uh, you know, anything you want to give to us to help us move this along would be just awesome.
0: Outstanding. Listen, I have many, many many things left to ask, but I'm out of time. But is there anything else that you wanted to add or anything you wanted me to ask you that I didn't?
1: Oh, that's so sweet. Not really. I mean, you know, we could go on. We could probably you and I could talk forever. I oh, guess.
0: we oh, I, believe me, I got lots of lots of things I could ask you about. That'll have to I guess wait for the next time. Okay, but uh, and I and I will anxiously await a book in which you will tell us all about uh, foul play and and death becomes her. And, yeah, you uh,
1: like you know. the the movie stuff. Yeah, uh, well
0: overboard. Oh, you know, just oh, all boy.
1: the details of making the movie. <laughs> oh boy, yawned.
0: <laughs> See, what uh, this this is what fascinates me. Why does what fascinates us seem to not maybe not bore well, you guys? I
1: bore you. It's just, it's, it's over. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. I don't even look at my movies anymore. Are
0: you serious? Oh,
1: no. I did. They're done. We had a great experience making them. It's awesome. I just don't. It's just, I just don't do it. <laughs> I'm so on to the next thing. And, and it's kind of the way I am in my life. And, you know, I tell you, I don't remember all that much. There are certain things that happened in movies, certain things that didn't. <laughs> it's just, to me, it's not as interesting as life itself.
0: Goldie Hawn? We'll be 76 in November. And you can find easy Amazon links to Goldie Hawn's books at our website, heardeverything.com. Oh, and while you're there, check out my interview with Patty Duke. The counterpoint to the, the negative stuff that was going on in my personal life at the time
1: was that here, every night, I got to beat up a grown-up. And a whole audience filled with grown-ups applauded.
0: And also my interview with one of Goldie Hawn's co-stars, Charles Grodin. You you really can't even uh, get anybody to talk to you. You can't even get anybody to say no. I mean, that's what's really uh, bizarre about this. You can't even get to the point where they'll reject you. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. In fact, if there's a platform you use where you can't find us, let me know. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the moving story of a woman who was caught up in the cultural revolution in China in the 1960s. My 1987 interview with former Chinese political prisoner Nian Cheng. I don't blame the Red Guards and the revolutionaries for what they did to me. They were misled. They believed in Mao Zedong, and Mao Zedong told them to do it. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.